Worried that the market is simply too crowded for your product? Today you're going to learn how to make your product stand out. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Rebel Boss Ladies podcast, where we feature everyday rebel women just like you, who are taking charge of their life and creating a path to financial freedom by building a business online. I'm your host, Eden Freed, and it's time to build your empire. Welcome back, Rebels. One of the biggest concerns product creators have when thinking about what product to create is the worry that the market is simply too saturated for their idea. I have people coming to me all the time saying things like, people are already doing this. There's too much competition. Why is my product any better than what's already out there? Well, today we are joined by my good friend, Kim, who I think is gonna help you understand how to navigate saturated markets and really make your product shine. Kim Wenzel is the founder of Pattern of Purpose, a brand strategy and messaging boutique for business owners, and she's also the host of a podcast by the same name. She helps entrepreneurs find the right words to easily explain what they do and why it matters to their audience. This is really, really important. You can have the most amazing product in the world, but if you don't describe the product in the right way, talk about the product in the right way, with the right words and the right phrasing, no one is going to understand why it's great and why they need it in their life. So today, Kim is going to teach you all about how to make your product stand out in the crowd with your word choice and your copy strategy. Take notes because this is a good one. And don't forget to subscribe to the Rebel Boss Ladies podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Your reviews really, really do make a difference and they always manage to put a big, big smile on my face. Plus, you might just be the lucky winner of an Amazon gift card, which would totally be amazing, right? We're raffling off an Amazon gift card to one of our reviewers once we reach our next 50 reviews, so head on over there now. It's gonna take you just a second or two. I'd also love it if you pause this podcast for just a second, take a screenshot of you listening, and share it on the gram. Be sure to tag me at Eden Freed so that I can see it and share it and engage with you. All right, let's turn it on over to this amazing, amazing interview with my good friend, Kim. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. So let's get started by, you know, just at the very beginning, tell us a little bit about yourself, your work, and how you got into entrepreneurship in the first place. I would love to. Such a good question. So um, my name is Kim Wenzel. And I own Pattern of Purpose, which is a brand strategy and messaging boutique. And I also um, host a podcast by the same name, Pattern of Purpose. And I like to kind of start my story always by saying I was the person who didn't think I would get into entrepreneurship. I had a pretty traditional path here. Um, I'm kind of a recovering degree collector. I have three degrees, which I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, but I, I grew up in DC and I came from a family of like, you know, attorneys and um, teachers and very respectable careers, right? And I went to college for communication and I remember my uncle saying something like, what is communication? Isn't that just talking to each other? You know, very, in this very flippant way. 
And I also had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do. I think there's a lot of pressure we place on people to know what they want to do from early on. And so I kind of just figured it out as I went along. And I spent the last 12 years working primarily in the nonprofit sector. And so uh, when I when I finished my degrees from Michigan, I got my MPH and MSW there. And I was so excited about my dream job working in international health. I got my dream job with Johns Hopkins and I started working and I felt empty. And after, you know, I was, I think 27 at the time. And I think a lot of people can relate to this story now as more people are talking about um, that it's okay to pivot and change your mind. But at the time, this was seven years ago, I thought, oh my gosh, I just invested so many years of my life so much money. I can't change this, this dream that I had in my head. It's not what I thought it was, but I feel a little stuck. So I was getting married around the same time and I happened to stay in touch with some of my wedding vendors and they were like, Kim, you were really good at the logistics. Most wedding planners hate the logistics. And I find it's what most brides and grooms need the most. You should really think about this. And so I thought, okay, sure. Um, and that ended up turning into a wedding coordination business. And I, I ran that for four years. And what, what part of me that that fueled at the time was this creative outlet as somebody who never really considered herself a creative. I, I went to school for, uh, you know, I ended up doing my master's, as I just said, in public health and social work. And I was invested in the academic way, right? Uh, use big words, sound very formal, look very formal, but this was fun and it didn't feel like work. And the fact that I got to do something that I enjoyed felt almost like I was cheating. But at the same time, I wasn't the person who like loved the wedding side of it. And my advice to anyone is like, go into the wedding industry if you're really passionate about weddings because there's a whole lot not to be passionate about. Um, and so I ended up staying in that business for four years. And that's really where I learned the foundation of business strategy, showing up online, branding. Um, and that really uh, set me up for when I started Pattern of Purpose to go into it at an accelerated rate. And while I started this business that I have now, uh, career coaching for women, it morphed into what I do now, which is brand strategy and messaging for small businesses and entrepreneurs. And where I am today is, I think within the last nine months, finally taking stock of what I'm really good at and using that in my business rather than feeling like I have to create a business that's so totally different than what I did in my past life. And so I would say, for anyone that is feeling like, what should I be doing? Sometimes it doesn't have to be hard. It's just really picking up those clues into what you're good at naturally and what you've built skills up over the year and using those just as your own business. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I always love to hear people's journeys <laughs> how, to how they got to whatever they're doing now, because Usually it is like what you're saying. You just kind of do what feels good for you in the moment, what feels right for you. Not really sure if it's 
necessarily the right thing at any given moment, but just kind of trusting your gut. And then, you know, following that and trusting that it's going to take you someplace really great. And it sounds like it did for you. Yeah. And I think you bring up something too, which is, I think we always feel like other people have a more direct route. And what I found is almost no one who, you know, like has that direct (laughs) route, but that's also what builds your own story and makes you different, which I mean, as we'll probably talk about today, that's what makes you stand out as an entrepreneur and a business owner. Absolutely. So it's the perfect segue. So today's topic is all about differentiating your product in a crowded market. And Kim is the perfect person to come on and teach us a little bit, a little bit about that. So first of all, Kim, let's start at the very beginning. What would you consider a crowded market to be? So I think what I like thinking about is, um, are there a lot of people doing what you do at the very simplest form? Um, I think I'm working with a client right now who's developing uh, where they started out to develop a candle line. And a lot of people sell candles. A lot of businesses start candle lines, right? It, it It's the type of thing where there are others who do what you do and your customers could potentially price shop to make their purchase decision. Okay. So that's what I mean in terms of just like a crowded market. It's not necessarily something new that you have to explain. There's some, um, your customers or people in general, generally acknowledge, accept, and understand what you do and what you offer. Now, should people be scared of crowded markets or is it okay to, to dive into them? I think it's one of the quotes that I've heard is pretty much everything has already been done. It's just about how you're doing it slightly differently. And I think to a sense, yeah, pretty much everything has been done. I mean, we're always evolving as a species, as, um, humans and as technology changes, our needs change. But I do think that a lot of the ideas that we're using today aren't actually completely new ideas. They're just being applied somewhat differently. And I think the other thing is, even if you're offering something, not everybody is using it the same way. Um, I mean, just think about the different types of learners that there are out there. There are visual learners. There are people who learn by doing. There are people who learn by hearing. And that's why I think that it shouldn't be scary. You shouldn't stop from doing something or introducing a new product just because somebody else is doing it. Because the way that you're talking about it, the way that you're positioning it, the way that you're offering an entry point to your audience can be different and needs to be different because we're not all the same as consumers. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Do you ever think there is a point at which a market could be too crowded? Um, Because I know I can think of a few products where I would probably not want to pursue them. Um, But, you know, maybe that's just me. What do you think? What would be your recommendation? I think it depends on your industry because, Just reflecting on 
the online marketplace and online coaches. So just general business coaches. I think there are a lot of business coaches out there. I think there are one thing that I'm seeing come up a lot, and this is not to say somebody shouldn't pursue this idea, but you know, like I have a course on how to do Pinterest. So I do feel like that's somewhat a saturated market now. However, if you're showing me how to use Pinterest as an interior designer who wants to drive more traffic to her site for my e-course, like that by, by narrowing down your niche, I actually think that's more helpful than just having a general course on Pinterest because you understand my role as a consumer, as an audience much more specifically. So you can talk directly to me and tailor the information. So while I do think that markets can be saturated and almost at a tipping point, if you can narrowly define how you're helping a specific segment of that market, I still do think you can enter it and have success. Yeah, you're making me think about um, something that I say to a lot of my customers a lot. Um, so imagine you have, you're an artist or a photographer, we'll say, you take a picture of a sheep. Um, this is totally random, but you take a picture of a sheep, replace sheep with whatever you want. Um, there are two photographers. They're both selling the same photos of that same sheep. The one who's saying that that photograph is for nurseries is going to sell more than the one who is just selling a photograph of a sheep. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. So that's a, that just, you, you made me remember that I always say that to people just because it is true when you narrow your audience a little bit more, you are going to have more success online, even for a very similar product or the same exact product as someone else. I think it's a little scary though. It it seems counterintuitive in our heads, right? Because it feels safer to be in that broader market of like, well, anybody looking for this sheep could buy it Mm -hmm. versus taking a little bit of a risk and, and kind of stepping out and saying, but no, this is for this specific type of use, which feels more limiting because it is more limiting, but it actually can be much more expansive when you're allowing that type of person who's looking for that type of thing to identify much more quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people always, they do say, oh no, I'm going to be weeding out too much or too many people. That's really, really scary. I'm going to have a smaller number of customers than I already would have. But I actually think by narrowing your audience, you're not excluding people. You're just better attracting the right people. And that's not to say that somebody won't take that photograph of the sheep and hang it in their living room instead of in a nursery. It just means that you'll be you'll have better luck selling to the people who are actually shopping for photographs for their baby's nursery. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think this goes across service providers or product creators uh, in that I made the decision to get kind of specific with my website copy over the last six months. And I basically came out and said, you know, most of my clients have been in business for three years. Now that was different by qualifying how many years you've been in business, but I did have somebody reach out to me and say, Hey, I know you said this and I'm just starting out, but I completely understand the importance of investing in this area. And I am willing to, you know, go through your process the way you have it set out, would you consider working with me? Of course, right? We can always make those decisions. We're not going to tell our clients how they can use 
our knowledge, information, products, but um, by narrowing, you are giving a better sense of who you're for. Absolutely. So what do you think is the best way to determine whether or not in a crowded marketplace, there's still opportunity for your product to thrive? I think by the easiest way is by looking at what's out there. And if you can quickly identify a gap, then you can be the person to fill that. If you're looking out there and you're simply looking at creating a similar thing that's already out there. So let's put this into very tangible terms. If you're just kind of looking at who you would consider to be your competitors and you're just looking for guidance on how to structure or what to offer or how to price, I don't think that's as smart of a way of offering something new because then you're just going to be one more option versus a different option. So if you're think if there's a motivation behind wanting to create something because you're saying, oh, I don't see this out there, or I'm not hearing this, or they're missing this, that should be an indicator to you that that's how you're going to position your product going into the market because you're filling a gap that somebody else isn't filling. I love that. Now let's transition more into kind of like the center of your work. Um, I love that you describe yourself as a storyteller. When I checked out your website and learned more about you, I love that terminology. <laughs> and I think that we need to storytell a little bit more in our marketing message. And I think that that ties directly into this conversation. So how would you use storytelling to make your product really different in that crowded marketplace and really just stand out? Yeah. I think I would start by just defining how I see a lot of people talking about what they offer, whether it's a service or a product. And I think that as business owners, because we're so close to what we're creating and, and what we know, that we tend to focus on the process and features and not the benefits or the outcome. So I'll give you a really specific example of this. Say you're offering a workbook and you're focused on the title of the chapters, how many pages it is, what the content is in inside. That's focusing on the features versus focusing on what somebody's going to be able to do after they learn that information, after they engage with the full workbook in that way, how they're going to be transformed from where they are to where they want to be. And that's the beginning of where stories are, are told. So I, I also think, and the way that I run my business is I think that regardless of how much we're using technology these days, how can, how, you know, quote unquote connected we are, we are really wanting to feel more connected in everything that we do from wanting to have meals together, from wanting to be able to feel heard, to wanting to know the story of a brand before we buy from them. Um, I think that feeling a part of something is really important to us these days because we do sort of live more separate lives than we ever have before. So what I would urge people to think about is... Um, What's your perspective on what you're offering? 
really what is it that's that's motivating you in in bringing this product to market? What do you care about? If somebody, um, what's something that you believe that you are willing to argue with somebody else because it might not be the the most accepted or common point of view? So really starting to unpack first, like what it is that, what is it about the way you think about the world and how you do business that's different? And then I also find that tying that to what you've done in your life, in your career makes for a story because even if you're offering a product, people still want to know about the person behind the brand and feel connected in a way. If you look at, um, outdoor brands, for instance, like Patagonia, you wouldn't buy necessary. I don't think the brand would have as much following if the founder was somebody who lived in New York city in a penthouse apartment who had never, you know, camped before, but because we know the ethos behind the brand, we're much more willing to say, I want to be part of that. Yeah. Even if I'm not an outdoors person now, like maybe I could take a step towards that if I buy one of their jackets, because that's what the outdoorsy people do. And that's kind of how I want to feel. And that, that telling that story, integrating that with how your customer wants to feel, that's the beginning of that connection. And as we all know, humans buy from humans. So Eden, I don't know if that made sense. But no, it definitely, kind of- it definitely did. And I'm like taking notes as you're talking, because as you're talking, it's in the same way that we buy from people and we connect with brand stories, we also choose not to buy from brands because of brand stories. And I'm thinking, you know, whatever your political beliefs are in the United States, there's a whole movement of people who are not purchasing from brands that are supported by uh, President Trump. Or, um, you know, I'm thinking like people are boycotting Chick-fil-A because the owner is, you know, anti-gay. So there's lots of different ways that you can go both ways. <laughs> and, and not just that, I think it's online businesses too, where, um, and, and this is, I think this is really what I wanted to convey overall, if nothing else in this episode is, um, whatever it is about you, let that shine. Whoever you are as a person, whoever you are as a business person, let that come through in your marketing, in your brand, in your messaging. Because I will tell you, kind of based on what you were just saying, there are certain people where they go real, real hard into their personality and they are for some people, but they're not for me. If they're super fluffy, if they're promising, um, you know, big paydays with this one strategy, that's just not something that aligns with what I'm thinking or feeling. There are people out there that are looking for kind of that one solution that will promise to change everything. And it works really well. And I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. I just think that typically what I'm looking to invest in, I'm looking for people who think about the world similarly as to me. And whether that's their outlook on life or business or family or hustle. I mean, the word hustle, like that is, that is a word that I think has very specific connotations these days. And some people are super for it and some people are super against it, but depending on how you're messaging your brand, 
and your product is going to attract more of those people that are looking for that. Yeah. For a long time in my marketing, I did try to fit a certain persona um, that I thought my target audience would want from me and then quickly realized it would be much easier for me and for my audience if I just embraced myself. Um, you know, I used to filter out swearing 100%. I used to, um, I don't know, I just, I, I just kind of molded myself to be this person I thought I would want, that people would feel attracted to. And, and once I kind of shed that notion and just embraced myself and freely sweared in the open and just really embraced that rebel brand that I've created, people like it. Of course, there are people that don't like it. I've gotten lots of people complaining that I've said shit and you know, whatever, but those people are not my people. And I know that this is working well. And this concept that you're talking about works really well because I have my customers answer a questionnaire when they start to work with me. One of the questions I ask is, why did you choose this program? Why do you want to work with me? And a lot of their answers are just, I liked you. <laughs> I liked your vibe. I like how you speak. Uh, I feel like we could be friends in real life. So I agree. And I think that's also kind of the long game, right? And this has been such a lesson for me. And I do it really well for my clients that I don't do it so well for myself is that like really leaning into who you are. I am going through a rebrand right now. And I think by the time this airs, it'll probably be completely live and transformed. But my tagline is step into who you are. And it's more than just a simple notion of like be who you are. But for a long time, I felt like there was something wrong with the way that I was. Um, you know, too opinionated, um, too, just too much overall. And it wasn't until I kind of embraced that and aligned that with how I do business in that most of my clients actually do want a guide. And when you're looking for a guide, you don't want somebody who's going to sit in the back seat, who's meek in, mm. and, you know, doesn't necessarily have a point of view. So I think really looking into, what is it about you? How do people think about you? What are those things that people have said you're to something and lean in hard to that because it's much easier to show up if you feel comfortable in that way than having to put a persona on and a hat on every time you show up because then you're not going to feel like you can show up and talk about your business and what you're offering until everything is perfect. Yeah. And that's going to be few and far in between. <laughs> it's exhausting too, trying to be somebody that you're not. I mean, we always tell kids and especially teenagers, just be who you are. And yet as adults, sometimes we forget that advice ourselves. <laughs> well, and because we're, we're also like looking around and trying to be more of what we see. Like we see somebody being successful. And so we're like, great, that worked for them. Let me do some more of that. And not recognizing that like, well, it may work for them, but it's not going to work so well for me. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we need to stop being so invested in looking over our shoulders all the time. So how do you take this? Um, how do you take your brand story and really infuse it into the marketing process? Yeah. So I would start, and I'm so glad to hear, like I'm a data person, and I love to hear that you ask your clients, why they hired you. And I think the first place to start is um, really paying attention to what people love about 
working with you, buying from you, the results that they get. And I think there's a couple ways of doing that. One is a simple way of like when somebody inquires or when somebody um, wants to purchase something from you, asking them some pointed questions about where they are, what they're facing, and why they decided to reach out to you. I think another way that you can do this is simply ask colleagues, um, clients, friends and family is a touchy one because I find that actually most entrepreneurs, their friends and family don't necessarily understand. So it's not a great place to go for advice, but ask them, what do you, what do you think of when you think of what I offer? What are some words that come to mind? What, what do you come to me for that you wouldn't go to somebody else on? So really just in all of these, getting a reflection back to yourself on how people are seeing you, thinking about you. And the reason I bring this up, and it sounds very simple, but taking the time to reflect back to you is something that I think we are so focused on. Oh, well, I already know myself. I know what my customers are looking for, that we don't actually open ourselves up to maybe be surprised. And I was talking to a client earlier today and she's a photographer and I had done some customer research for her and it was 62 slides long, this presentation. And out of everything I said, so what stood out to you the most? She goes, that people consider me an artist. I'm just really surprised, but shrinking down and not fully going into how people see her that have worked with her. It's going to make it really hard for other people to see her in that light if she's not infusing that in her marketing and messaging. So another really great way to get words reflected back to you is through a client survey. And I feel strongly that everyone should have one, whether you're working with people or selling products, just to get a sense of what they got out of what you offer and to get it in their words. And this does not have to be something lengthy. I actually think the most successful client surveys are like three to five questions, but well thought through questions. Not like, did you enjoy this? Would you recommend to a friend? But those things that you would actually really wanna know about their purchase. So what surprised you most about this? What were you able to do now that you couldn't do before? Questions along those lines. So combing through this data, I think is really helpful for refining how other people think about you once they know you, because the goal is, okay, how do I then infuse that to reach more people before they work with me? Because that's the crux of getting the know, like, and trust factor, introducing your point of view, your perspective, and your genius further up front rather than having to convince someone to work with you and then exploding with all this amazingness. So how do you do that? How do you start Mm -hmm. to spread that data, that information that you pull from your existing clientele into, like you said earlier, into the process and social media? Yeah. So I think the best place to start is just to have one place to store all of this information. So I have a Google sheet that um, I have set up annually for every person that inquires, buys, works with me. And I basically just keep all of their words there. 
So every time they're emailing me and saying something, I plop those words in a column. Information um, that they put in an inquiry form, plop that information there. Information from the survey, plop that information there. So then when I'm looking through, I'm looking for the themes. Because while information can be interesting, it's not always actionable. So then when I'm going to write a sales page or a work with me page, I'm saying, okay, what do I want to say? Of course, there are things that I need people to know about the features of this product. Let me give you an example. I just hosted a retreat. Of course, there are features that they want to know. What's included? How much does it cost? What else do I have to expect? But the transformation process, that's actually what sells. And the transformation, I need to hear about the transformation I typically provide with my clients because we're talking about the same thing. So in marketing copy, in sales copy, even in conversations that you're having maybe on Instagram, it's focusing on not just what you're doing, but why that matters. And I find that just using, I mean, having that spreadsheet for me is like gold because I can go back there and refer so often when, when I'm thinking, how would I describe this? Like, why does this actually matter? Oh, right. Sarah said this thing. And so using that as a guide to talking about why something matters and the outcomes, because I can actually say, yeah, this is what my clients have experienced before without just having to throw another testimonial up there. Because people, I don't think people really trust testimonials that much anymore. Yeah, that's, you bring up a really good point. I mean, testimonials are definitely one way to show potential success, but they're also so easily fabricated that I think it's more powerful to create content that shows the transformation without it being, you know, a regular old testimonial. I mean, you can tell a story from somebody, um, you can record video from that person or maybe an interview with that person. There's just a lot of other creative ways beyond testimonials that are perhaps a little bit more powerful. I think mini case studies are a great way too. And by mini case studies, because I think when we think of case studies, it has to be this long, drawn out, very detailed um, description with the ROI clearly articulated, which often whatever you're selling or doing, there has to be some time between working with you to see the lasting impact of what that means for somebody's business. So I think just by being able to structure a case study in that this is my client's name and business. Here's what they do. Here's what they came to me for. And then here's where they are now. And so showing that transformation and rooting that in a human is so powerful, not just because of what the transformation is, but because somebody can see themselves there. And you would be amazed just how comforting it is to see somebody else was thinking the same thing before they bought something as you are, because then that validates, oh, this is normal. And I can trust this person because they helped this other person who was like me. Yeah. And I think it also can, you know, uh, case studies are amazing, but you can also even think simpler than that too. Um, let's say somebody sends you an email after they finish a course. Hey, I just finished this and it was amazing. Take a screenshot of that posted on your social media. 
somebody is now who has seen that course before is probably going to be thinking, oh, wow, you know, maybe I should reconsider that course. Or if five people just graduated from your course and received a certificate, go to your Facebook page and say, oh, we're celebrating the five most recent graduates of this online course. Like, this is an amazing day. Um, So little things like that, you're just subtly putting the message out there that your product is good, that people are using it and that they've enjoyed it. Yeah. I love the piece about celebrating other people's success because that's a real way of also elevating your own customers and in a way that's not, Hey, look at me, how great this product is, how great it could change your life. But like, look how great my customers are when they are using this information. And that's part of your brand story. You're somebody who loves your students and really wants to see them thrive and be successful. And that is one of the ways that you can definitely differentiate yourself from other competing courses or products on the market. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to wrap up, Kim, but is there anything else that you feel like is really important for people to know in terms of making sure their product stands out even in a crowded marketplace? Yeah, I would just say, um, making sure that you share a little bit about your own journey because the about page is the second most visited page on any website. People really want to know who you are, what you think, what you believe. Um, and I don't mean this necessarily just in like, and I love pumpkin spice lattes and, you know, binging episodes of whatever, because I think those can be kind of surface level grabs at connection, but really, um, you know, what, what you think, what you feel, what you aren't sure about all of those things that have shaped you to who you are today. I can't tell you how many people have resonated with like, oh yeah, I was in academia for 12 years too. And it was such a jump for me to learn entrepreneurship. And that's just a small piece of my story that I used to filter out because I thought it wasn't relevant. And I thought it made me less qualified to be an entrepreneur. And those are actually the pieces of my story that pull people in. So I would just say, find those pieces of your story that got you to where you are today and share them because I think those are the elements that people can really grab onto and feel a connection and feel resonance that are going to make that purchase decision easier for them. You bring up a really, really great point. I 100% agree with you. I'm trying to think what's on my about page and what what's in my welcome email, those like initial points of contact that I have with people. My big part of my story is that um, I bailed on law school. I applied to 12 schools. I got into uh, every one of them. I even paid a seat deposit, found an apartment, started paying for textbooks, the whole nine yards. And then at the last second decided... I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to start an online business instead. And I always share that as part of my story. And at least once a week or so, I get a message from somebody who did go to law school (laughs) or went to something similar. They went to med school or something like that. And they're trying to get out of it. And they say, I wish I just, I wish I had done what you did for yourself. I wish I was gutsy enough or ballsy enough, whatever, um, to do that. And I really like that about your story. So that's a really great point, Kim. Thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. So tell us where we can find you, stalk you, hang out with you online. Sure. So the 
easiest place to find me if you're listening to this is just to do a search wherever you're listening to your podcast um, for pattern of purpose and you should be able to find my podcast there. I release new episodes every Tuesday and it's kind of a blend of me behind the mic and also me talking to other creatives, entrepreneurs and um, designers on what it means to build a standout brand. But you can also find um, more information about me, how to work with me at patternofpurpose.com. Awesome. And I was recently, at the time that this is publishing, it'll be a few weeks back, um, I was recently on the Pattern of Purpose podcast. So I will link that episode in the show notes for anyone who's interested in that. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Kim. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. Next time on Rebel Boss Ladies, we've got a pro coming on the show to talk all about how to write a killer launch email sequence for your next launch. If writing sales emails makes you want to cry and pull your hair out and scream, mark your calendar for next week. Thanks again for tuning in today, Rebels. If you love the episode, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and to share on social media. I'm your host, Eden Freed, and remember, keep kicking ass, keep putting in the work, and most importantly, keep showing up. We'll see you next time.